0: A listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And, Keith, today we're looking at disinformation... So when we use the term disinformation, what exactly are we talking about is it can take many different forms, can't it?
1: It can, and it's really not a new issue, um, <clears throat> except that it's, it's much more extensive now because of the development of social media. So um, what we're looking at is a, what would in the old days be called psychological operations, which is done really to distort your enemy's perception of, of the world. So um, these have gone under various headings over the the centuries. You spread information which is incorrect just to confuse your opponents. Um, So in essence, what we're talking about is not new. But I think that um, Elizabeth Braw, who's been writing in the Financial Times, she talks about the way in which it's now got so bad that Sweden has decided to create a campaign or an agency to go after all of this concern. Um, So, in a sense, Sweden is trying to set an example to the rest of us about how to handle these psychological operations. The argument is that if it's coming out of government, then it's a form of low-intensity warfare. So high-intensity warfare would be like World War I, World War II, using lots of force very deliberately on the enemy but we're also are moving into an era of low-intensity warfare. So low-intensity warfare is where you may well be actually in a war with a country and you don't even know it. In other words, they're hacking into your computer system, they're stealing your industrial secrets, they're feeding inappropriate stories to your own media, etc. Uh, so all of this is very confusing, and that's the purpose of psychological operations. It's almost, you know, it's a branch of, of propaganda. And so um, Elizabeth Braw has uh, said that Sweden has launched an agency for psychological defence. Very Swedish. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she says, look, other countries would do well to follow the Swedish example. So this new agency says that they are trying to target areas of public concern such as crime, COVID vaccinations, the government's response to the pandemic, and immigration. So Sweden, along with other countries, is caught up with disputes, mainly, of course, in this case with Russia, and the Russians are trying to undermine the institutions uh, within Sweden, and they do that through these very subtle ways.
0: And, I mean, how have we seen this play out in recent time in terms of this disinformation Two examples come to mind. You mentioned the COVID pandemic. Even the US election would be recent examples of where this has been rife. Absolutely. Although I'm
1: not, in regard to the 2016 American election, I'm not sure that they actually had that much impact. I think that Trump would have got elected even without assistance from his friends in Russia. So there's a bit of a question mark uh, in my mind there. But certainly when you look at what's going on with the disruptions caused by anti vaccination campaigners um and some of the statements that you see that uh, when you are being vaccinated you're actually receiving some sort of um, technology 5G that am- that's right Network you're you're, <laughs> you're, uh, you're going to be uh, uh, controlled by some other substance they they're putting into your body not just a vaccine but a system whereby they better control what you're thinking et cetera now that clearly is disinformation, and it's impossible. As someone who does talk back radio, I can tell you it's impossible to disabuse people of that point of view. Now, whether it's coming from some sort of super intelligent Russian uh, outfit or North Korean or China, we don't know because we're, I'm not even sure what we're whom we're up against in terms of the war. It may well be that it's actually a dispute, say, between Russia and China or dispute involving Russia and the United States, and we're just simply, because of the global media, caught up in this. So in previous eras, without the global media, something could be happening between two countries, and we wouldn't hear about it. But now, because of the impact of social media, we've moved into an era where people on the other side of the world can get to hear about all sorts of things, or have their information scraped off Facebook to be used inappropriately. It's a whole new world opening up in terms of of social media. Um, And so the Swedes are saying, we've just got to do something about this to try to
0: protect our institutions
1: and our way of life.
0: Well, this is true. How significant is disinformation in undermining democracy or even a country's military defense, for example?
1: Well, again, that's an interesting question because what they're trying to do is to get people to lose confidence in government. But then you look at today's politicians, and they're doing a good enough job without having to. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of my problem, that you know when you look at, at how the politicians are looting the country, looking after their own interests, et cetera, and that includes Australia as much as anywhere else, you'd have to say that people have a right to be disenchanted. But then on top of that, you've got um, campaigns being waged by individuals who've got their own views about what you could be doing To make life even more difficult about all of this, so yes, it's it is a it's a very confusing time. And and looking at a bigger context, there's the whole issue about how you try to make sense now of the world. So part of it is is uh, the move away from broadcasting to narrowcasting. So in the old days, there was a a agreed perception of what was happening in the world uh, from, say, an Australian point of view. You had a handful of TV stations broadcasting to most of the country. We've now moved from broadcasting to narrowcasting, and so we have got a variety of of stations transmitting to a small number of people. This podcast is an example of narrowcasting, right? It would not have existed 50 years ago. But now, because of the improvements in technology, we can do our own podcasting. Um, I've been taking part in a Melbourne TV program, uh, and I'm based in Sydney. And we're doing TV coverage via elaborate iPhones through the internet as a current affairs type uh, news coverage. So this this is incredible technology in terms of, of narrow casting. And it means, therefore, that you can then get into a silo and be fed the information that you want to hear, that it is curated for you. And so if you want to think that these are vaccines that are a, a plot By government to take control of the citizens, et cetera, you will be fed that information. Your Facebook algorithms uh, detect uh, what it is that you're interested in and will then just feed you that information. There's a fantastic TED talk where somebody, uh, again, warning about this uh, the way of the impact of algorithms, by saying that he and a friend at the same time both Googled Egypt, the word Egypt. And he's interested in politics, so his Google results ended up talking about the political situation in Egypt. This is the time, of course, of the so-called Arab Spring. His friend is not interested in politics and just has an interest in tourism, so you've got a whole series of tourist pages coming up on Google. So these two computers had got their own algorithms worked out and decided this is what Person A wants to look at, And this is what person B wants to look at. Now, you take that to the next stage and you then become vulnerable to information from disinformation campaigns. And Sweden is obviously concerned that this will lead to the erosion of um, the resilience within their society.
0: And, in fact, I've heard that described as a great term, I don't know who to credit it for, but as as an echo chamber. So people on Mm. social media are living in an echo chamber where their own views are echoed back to them because of exactly what you've just described, which is quite a fascinating way to think about it and, and think about that information people are getting is not really challenging their view of the world, is it?
1: And that's and that's one of the worries, obviously, and it makes the people vulnerable to having other more sinister organisations, foreign governments, etc., trying to control what they are about because of um, the way in which they can be now so manipulated because they've got just a a thin attachment. Some of them have got just a thin attachment to reality. But then there is a whole philosophical debate about, well, what is reality? Um, How do I know that I'm living in reality? How do you know? (laughs) How do we know that we're here in the same studio at the same time? There are all sorts of issues of epistemology. And what I find intriguing, this is going a little off the the, uh, target, but you get this development of the metaverse when people are living in virtual reality. And I notice they're now buying and selling real estate in virtual reality. I know. What's
0: that all about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we're we're becoming we're moving into an era where our lives are becoming more and more abstract. And you know, it, it's a for me, it's a completely new era that's opening up thanks to information technology. Which is why I keep coming back to talking about information technology. Our lives are being shaped by the IT, and who knows where we will end up.
0: Well, I think I can say with confidence you are listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. That's the reality. <laughs> I'm Sasha Tannock, and Keith, today we are talking about disinformation. Now, does the fact that people are so willing to believe some of this disinformation show there is a distrust in government or, I mean, there is also misinformation which is often posted in good faith but can spread like wildfire?
1: Exactly. That's a very good distinction. So people in all innocence would then spread rumours and again, this is nothing new. You find that in human society throughout history. But the problem is that today's information technology means that a rumour, instead of just uh, echoing around a village, can go around the world. This, this, is, this is what makes the, the current era so different from previous eras.
0: And we have seen big companies like Facebook, you know, make an attempt to tackle misinformation or fake news online, but it's really hard to capture so much information that's out there i mean they're making attempts but there's still a lot of disinformation or misinformation out there circulating to your point and also
1: you need to have algorithms um i guess rather than humans actually have algorithms that would do the sorting but we know that algorithms are not necessarily 100 percent efficient either you certainly can't have humans you're right but don't forget that the problem with particularly with facebook but a few other social media outlets is they want people to remain engaged And they do that by arousing them, by making them angry. And that's the power of social media, that people need to keep on clicking and remaining engaged and they are feeling angrier and angrier. And it's quite interesting how it's distorted political debates in these countries now uh, because people just do get so angry. And increasingly, political parties are being shaped by angry minorities within the respective parties. We see that, I think, much more in our in the United States and here in Australia. I think in Australia we have such low (laughs) engagement with politics and we reserve our anger for referees on a Saturday. Um, (laughs) But in the United States you do have people who take their politics very seriously and it is those angry minorities, it's the Tea Party at one end and the Black Lives Matters at the other. They're the ones that really drive the political dialogue now in the United States. They may well be minority groups in both their respective parties. Uh, but they are driving the change. And so we see the the importance of information technology, particularly social media, as a way of shaping how people perceive the world. And so what this new um, Swedish psychological defence agency will do will be to monitor malign influence by exposing both the aggression and their methods. And the journalist said, I believe it should go further by launching information counter-strike campaigns against the offending country's ruling elite. So this is a person talking about Sweden. In future, NATO and its allies could respond to disinformation campaigns by revealing some of the overseas properties owned by senior officials in the hostile country. Now, this goes back to the discussion we had about kleptocrats and whatever, that what is interesting is that clearly you've got a number of, of Russians who own a lot of property in London, for example? How is that going to work out? Are you going to start embarrassing those people uh, because you'll come up against the real estate agents in London who are saying you're jeopardising our business yeah. model?
0: <laughs> it depends on everyone's. Best <laughs> but I think interest. it's a good
1: idea that uh, this woman has raised. I think it's a. It's you know we've got to find ways of dealing with the disinformation campaigns, and I think Elizabeth Braw has certainly, um, as I say come up with a very interesting approach that we would then reveal our own information about the overseas properties owned by senior officials of, in the hostile country. So, so I, talking I think
0: transparency here in terms of information. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are two things to look at. Firstly, who is spreading the disinformation and then how they're going about it, because there are different methods, aren't there? But is this really about information and education? How do we teach people how to analyse disinformation? Well, that's a
1: good point. In other words, that we need to have people as more discerning consumers of the media. And the people that I found best at consuming the media in a critical way were people who who were behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. I travelled a lot uh, behind the Iron Curtain in the Cold War days. And the media there were totally unreliable. And people knew that the media were unreliable. They knew it was all propaganda. But the public could read between the lines. So, a reference to a harvest, and that would give them an indication well, are, we, are there going to be food shortages this year? So, in fact, these were people who were super shrewd in how they consumed their media. Uh, there was an article written by a, a Polish journalist who fled Poland at the end of the Cold War. And she was comparing her experiences in Poland, writing what she knew was lies about the availability of food, et cetera, in Poland. And in the United States, she found herself writing about rape and murder. In other words, the consumers in the United States were interested in crimes, Hollywood glamour, sporting results, etc. They were not discerning consumers. So she knew in Poland that she was writing lies as per government instructions and media, but she knew her readers, could work out between the lines lines. exactly what's going on. Whereas in the West, the consumers were laid-back, gullible people who just wanted to hear about crime and Hollywood gossip, sporting results, et cetera. So you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it think. And, And we now live in a society where we want to be entertained, not informed. And so a lot of people, even if you warn them about disinformation won't pay attention to you.
0: Yeah, I think teaching people how to work out what is truth and fact is really an interesting point and something our kids should be learning at school and university. I mean, they are taught somewhat to analyse information that comes to them and we're all told not to click on emails just because, you know, to accept them at face value, for example. So there are Certain ways we're taught to not to trust information as it's presented to us, but perhaps a lot more can be done.
1: I think a lot more can be done. I remember in Britain we had a campaign, uh, this is decades ago, to make schoolchildren more suspicious about advertising and to realise what advertising is all about. But that campaign got into trouble from the advertising industry. Last thing they wanted was discerning consumers. They wanted to exploit the vulnerabilities of consumers to get them to go out to buy cigarettes, for example.
0: And to your point with social media, I mean, people are often passive listeners, so they're not really there to analyse or question. Uh, But in fact, sometimes if you've ever read the Facebook comments, which you wouldn't, Keith, not being on social media, but you really can get people getting angry over, (laughs) before they've even questioned the information that's presented to them. Um, I mean, those comment sections can get very heated.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But that's what they're designed to because Facebook wants you to keep clicking on and keep getting angry. And so that's what it's all designed to do. And that, of course, makes you vulnerable, again, to manipulation, because you're not approaching the information in a cool, rational way, making the most of your brain power. Instead, you're being guided by your emotions rather than your rationality.
0: So do you think we will see more countries in the future following Sweden's lead and and get more serious about tackling disinformation?
1: And this is exactly what Elizabeth Braugh has recommended. Um, I would hope that would happen, but you'd then end up with a campaign with people saying, oh, no, that looks like the government trying to control what we're thinking. And so in the same way we've had all this anti-vaxxer campaign because I don't want to be injected with Bill Gates' truth serum, um, you'd now end up with campaigns saying, oh, we can't trust governments with the handling of information. And so people will therefore remain gullible. And
0: distrustful. Exactly. It's a very interesting one to tackle. Thank you, Keith. I look forward to our chat next week. Thank you. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Listener.